the Borg are bad, and that's it. But I kind of still want to meet him, though. Just for coffee. Just, I just want to ask them, like, four questions. This end of the wormhole is currently stable. All right, listeners, if you couldn't tell, that was me enjoying a mimosa because I am celebrating today on Into the Wormhole with Larissa and Lauren because we are talking about I Borg from TNG. Yay! Yay! Woohoo! Which I think it's safe to say, Larissa, that is probably my favorite Star Trek episode. Uh, maybe of all Star Trek, not just TNG, but um, yeah. And I know you really like it. Yeah, I. It's definitely this episode is in my top five all time Star Trek episodes. Period. Yeah, <laughs> I have a poster of Iborg on my wall. I forgot about that. Yeah, where did you get I'll that? I'll take a picture of it and put it online. Dan got it for Ooh, me. Nice. Yeah, like it was some this uh, artist that likes to like make posters for things that didn't have a poster oh nice i was gonna ask like why is there even a poster but that makes sense yeah yeah it's really it's very cute and it's uh it's a beautiful poster but this yeah this episode is special yeah and it's one of those it's a very uh iconic and beloved episode uh to the fandom so it's really hard because when we first talked about doing this podcast we knew we both really liked iborg but so does everyone else pretty much and how do you how do you talk about it because it's already been reviewed and dissected and just examined and there's so many good podcasts or papers written up about it anyways um so i had the idea after watching voyager's drone about five or six months ago i was like oh this would be perfect for a star trek remix episode on the podcast so we wanted to take iborg with voyager's drone because it's just yeah it's like perfect to compare and contrast so here we are mm-hmm. again i feel like we took measure of a man and we went it against author author and voyager and now we're yeah it's not so much a competition but i do feel like here we are again with a really iconic episode from tng and then a remix episode to to a certain degree with voyager yeah, you're right. I didn't think about that we had done this with Measure of a Man. And I mean, it's 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 hard because these two episodes are like iconic within the fandom, but also like they these are some of the episodes that set the bar so high early on in like the Star Trek Renaissance. Yes. So it makes sense that like writers would look back at those episodes and be like, "We I would love to do something like that again because they were so successful and they were so uh, well-received and they were so different from everything else that was on television, you know, it makes sense. And also there are easy ways to do that with the way that Voyager's structured, you know, like with author, author and measure of a man, you do, we do have a, a sentient um, artificial life form in both series. And, and then we have experiences with the Borg in both series. So it makes sense to do something like this, um, again, with Voyager, 
I'm also interested to talk about these two episodes as they exist in the universe that is continuing now. Because mm, okay. these two episodes set up a lot for characters on the new Star Trek show Picard. Yeah, well. I know. I was like, oh, we're gonna we're gonna talk about Picard again. We are. Ha- we we are, have uh, to a little bit at least. We do have to as uh the new the season. We won't talk. We're not gonna talk about the new trailer. We don't have to talk about the new trailer. That's an old whole other thing. We probably will mention it, but it's. <laughs> It'll be like but, a bonus. We can always edit it out to be like a little bonus clip. Yes, a bonus if we if we clip. rant too long about it. Um, but we get backstory. I mean, writers drew from both of these episodes for the first season of Picard because we have backstory on Picard and we have backstory on Seven in both of these episodes. So. I'm I'm excited to talk about that too. Yeah, I do also want to point out that you know sometimes too, like the bigger themes of story writing in general, not just sci-fi, but the whole kind of like fish out of water story or you know know thy enemy, like that's that's something that's been explored a lot. So sometimes in the remix episodes, it's just you're you're gonna overlap or you're gonna repeat yourself to some degree. I mean, even outside of sci-fi and. You know, I'm sure that you can find some civil war stories or other war stories about, you know, an enemy behind enemy lines and getting to know him. And yeah, so this is something that's been kind of remixed and played again and again. So sometimes that happens. And but in this case, it's like, oh, you just Iborg is so good. You just can't help but compare one to Q. So when it comes to Iborg, which is, is it, it's season five, it's obviously after the best of both worlds because yes. it does touch upon, upon um, Picard after he's become Locutus and he's obviously still dealing with some shit <laughs> drama wise. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's season, season five, episode 23. Great. Um, here's the thing, like feel like Voyager drone we probably have to get a little bit more into explaining it but is I bored kind of like Measure of Man where it's like if you're listening to this podcast and you're a Star Trek fan you know this episode or do we need to can I do a really brief synopsis is that a good idea Uh, yeah I mean just remind everyone but like I kind of feel like you you know this episode. You should. You know we'll that, that you way. guys know this episode. If you don't know this episode, you should. please immediately watch this episode. I once made my three best girlfriends watch this episode <laughs> with me. <laughs> One of them is a Trekkie. So she and I were both like crying. And <laughs> the other two were like, I love you so much. This is fun. Oh, I gosh. Yeah. <laughs> And I was like, in a, I was like crying, and I looked over at my friend, my friend Sarah Bandy was like, I don't get it. Why is he have tubes coming out of his head? Um, <laughs> it was just like it's not her. Thing. Well, yeah, right. And I'm like this, this, uh, oh god. And he like, oh, he just looked at Jordy after he got beamed up. Is Jordy the guy with the eighties sunglasses? Like, yeah, I was like, she's like, oh yeah, I know Lavar Burton. I love Lavar Burton. <laughs> I love reading Rainbow. <laughs> I know. I'm like, oh my god. Uh, All right, I'm gonna, okay. I'm gonna my try to like. Friends are so good to me. Yeah, they're so nice and sweet. Talk about a good friend moment. 
Oh, that watching, is watching moment. something. Yeah, watching the, the IP that your friend is really into when you have no clue what the hell's going on. Can you imagine all the people who had to sit through like a Game of Thrones episode and were like, what the shit is going on? And oh my God, no. No, 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 Actually, no. Actually, I was a fan and that was still me every week. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, the things we do for the people we love. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so... So here we go. Quick recap of iBorg. Yes, I think I can do this. Um, I liked how okay. we had Damon and DJ on. That DJ was like, the Enterprise gets a Borg pet. And it's like, not too far off. Uh, that's even referred in the episode. Picard's like, everyone oh, wants yeah. to treat this like some pet. <laughs> I forgot. we cho- Of course we chose this episode for... We didn't, but it came up. Oh, it came up. We, it came oh, up. that's right. We said, yeah. we said we couldn't choose this episode because... We had to choose best of both worlds. I don't think did we watch best of both worlds? So, see, we're getting a little. God, I don't remember. Anyway, no we... <laughs> listener, if you've forgotten Iborg or if you haven't watched it, this is kind of the. It's it's actually a pretty straightforward episode. The Enterprise comes um, across a critically injured Borg, and Crusher convinces it, convinces the crew to take it up to the ship as a humanitarian mission. Um, because during, she is an excellent human person and yes. she is perfect because she's perfect. <laughs> Which quickly Picard realizes that when they send him back to the board, they can upload some sort of virus that's going to cause him to disrupt the Borg OS, so to speak, and call a sy- total system failure. Uh, which Crusher points out, hey, that kind of sounds like genocide. So after that, uh, Crusher and LaForge develop a relationship with the Borg who gets the name Hugh. Meanwhile, Picard and Guinan are going through their Borg trauma and they go on a personal journey, each of them, to sort of resolve their inner trauma and issues with the Borg as they get to know Hugh. At the end, Picard realizes that uh, Hugh is an individual and they decide, or I should say Hugh decides, that he needs to go back to the Borg um, in order to save his new friend Hugh and the Enterprise. His new friend Jordy. Oh, shoot. Yes, That's thank okay. you. <laughs> He's Hugh. To yeah. go save Jordy. Thank you. Um, but they, they are hoping that his new sense of individuality is going to briefly inspire the Borg and might kind of cause some sort of upset. And and that's it, really. And this is, Larissa, this is one of the reasons why I love this episode because it's a fairly straightforward plot that is is a skeleton to hang all these wonderful little character stories and vignettes on you know we yeah. have we have the wonderful friendship between you know Hugh and Jordy and then we have you know Picard dealing with his stuff we have a like probably the most vulnerable Guinan has ever been yes I wanted to talk about that the character writing in this episode is just fucking excellent every moment of dialogue is important and is holding a lot of weight yeah and because we're in season five we have so much information and backstory on all of these characters all of our enterprise crew characters that now the writers can do things to surprise us and specifically Guinan's role in this episode is one of my favorites of hers. And 
you could argue that in some ways it's similar to measure in a measure of a man in that she is the the force that tips Picard over the edge to a choice that tends to be her role with him but because she has to be convinced first that's the thing that makes this whole story like oh shit <laughs> you know because yeah. she has personal trauma with the Borg, with her experiences with the Borg. Like, they basically genocided her whole species. Yeah, and they're scattered across the universe, as she says often. Yeah, but to see the that uh, critical flaw in Guinan, when she's the person that is always helping other people to open up their minds to new possibilities and new courses of action and new perspectives... To have her be the one that's like, no, I will not. Mm -hmm. And then to see her change her mind so quickly, which is beautiful. To have a character that is that hurt and that broken by an experience and to have them be able to change their perspective so fast on that trauma not on their experience, but on the way that they see who is responsible for that trauma is so beautiful and says so much about Guinan's character that she can go into a situation with a Borg drone and be like, I was wrong about you. Well, and I think what it also says about this episode is the efficiency of the writing. You said that every line's important and kind of like Ugh. measure of a man. It's amazing how... It's like every line is a sniper shot. And and that's great yeah. because in 45 minutes, they really make every line count. And so when you think about it, they're doing a lot. They're going through Picard's kind of stuff, Guinan stuff. They have not only Hugh as an individual, but they have Hugh and Jordy's kind of relationship. So there's Cry a crying, right? Like crying. And so there's a lot going on, but they do a really good job of, pacing and editing this episode and again you're right like the writing makes it very efficient and so you know when you think about it these scenes are just like boom 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 and they come along but they do such a beautiful job with the points they're trying to get across that you know you're just you're just ready for it to keep going like a train like <laughs> yes um, yes and the acting is so yes beautiful I mean, and and of course, we know that our regular cast is excellent. I mean, we have Academy Award winning actress Whoopi Goldberg. Isn't she <laughs> in a, this uh, what is it, an EGOT? Is that when she's an won? EGOT? Yeah. Yeah. She's Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, Tony Award winning mm -hmm. performer icon Whoopi Goldberg in this episode. And, you know, of course, the rest of our cast, excellent. LeVar Burton, Gates McFadden, amazing actors. But, for me, the thing that glues this fucking episode together is Jonathan Del Arco. Yes, yes, I completely agree. He's amazing. I think I mentioned this. He he originally auditioned for Wesley and and lost out to Will Wheaton, but yeah, he was able to come back for this. And he's I mean, so he does cute. He does such an amazing job. Um, do you mind if I if I gush a little bit about him in this episode? Yes, I'm gonna gush a little bit too. Do you want to gush first, and then I'll gush? Let me let you <laughs> let me let you continue your thought, please. Please yeah. gush. He he is 
so endearing and so just like his face is like you you his eyes you just want to help him so badly i i look at him and i want to help him his one eye because <laughs> he's got that damn pork oh yeah prosthetic. Oh god, I mean, that part where he's like, "Can I?" Where Jordy's like, "Can I see it?" And he's like, "Yeah, sure." And he just I like, know. Pulls it off his head. <laughs> um, his just his his voice, his delivery. He is so innocent and so tender. Mm-hmm. The moments where Picard is pretending to be Locutus and and kind of pushing him to break and be a Borg. And says, you know, everyone on this ship will be assimilated. And he and Hugh says, even Jordy, and then says, but he does not wish it. Yeah. Every time he would he, rather die, like he, he says it. it makes yeah. It makes me want to cry. He's like, he's just passing this test with flying colors. Just so beautiful. And really, that's like the only way that Picard would have been convinced. Yeah. You know, if in private, this Borg is like, but I can't hurt my friend Jordy. Yeah. He says, that... I will not do it. I will not comply. Oh, God. <laughs> we're going to, I mean, one of the big things we're going to compare and contrast, obviously, is the performances of the Borgs in each episode. And I want to say that. Excluding yeah. seven. seven yeah. Oh, oh, yes, yes. The, um, the out of the, yeah, yeah. But, but one and Hugh. The pet, the pet Borgs. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, and also I do want to throw in that you don't know what the notes from the script said. You don't know what the notes from the director or the studio said. So any like negatives I give, I, I don't want to pin that on the actor because there's a, as creatives, Larissa and I know there's a lot of people involved sometimes in the outcome of a creative product and so forth. Oh the yeah. Performance. Yeah. But one of the things that Jonathan Delarco does so well is he, a lot of times I bring up the acting, like you're saying his face, like Jonathan Delarco's acting when he's, even when he's talking about when he's not talking, he's acting when he's not speaking lines. And he says so much through his face, which seems like a duh thing, but you'd be surprised how many actors don't really do that. And what I love is that, you know, Hugh is separated from the collective and he is suddenly, you know, Jonathan Del Arco plays him not like a child, but almost like childlike, which there's a, there's like a slight difference between that. And so it's really great because, you know, he's, he's slightly confused when they give him food. He's, you know, trying to understand them um, as individuals and just as like beings. Like he has these wonderful conversations with Hugh and Crusher about everything from names to why they don't want to be assimilated. <laughs> he's, he's innocent, but at the same time, they don't play him like he's dumb or like a baby. Yeah. Um, and Jonathan Delarco, like that scene you talk about when Picard is sort of pretending to be Locutus to manipulate Hugh into sort of, um, you know, proving that he's a threat. Um, Jonathan Delarco just gives like this great performance where you can tell as Hugh, he is processing this command from Locutus and he is, there's two philosophies that are fighting inside of him and the struggle that's going on inside Hugh and it's almost, it reminds me of like when you tell a child, even though I said he's not a child, but when you tell a child something very basic, like 
don't lie. Lying is bad. And then one day you tell a child, you know what? It, it, it's just tell them a little lie. Like sometimes yeah. it's okay to lie because you yeah. don't want to hurt like, someone's feelings. Don't tell, don't tell grandma that you like the Christmas present. Yeah, she gave exactly. You. And, <laughs> and, and the kid's like, but lying is bad. And that's one of the passionate things about Hugh's perform, like Hugh in the ready room when he's like, but Jordy doesn't want to be assimilated. He would rather die. Like, I feel like he's saying it with that sort of like, uh, oh my God, like this is not what I've been told. And yeah, um, but he- it's kind of like the way that I would, Im- I mean, I've seen lots of documentaries on cults. Yes. Yes. But like the way that someone exiting a cult, their, their, uh, their previous concept of what the world is like starts to break down. Yeah. And they start to see because they've been so isolated from what the rest of the world is like when they start to see the rest of the world and get to know the rest of the world the, their preconceived notions of what it what it was start to yeah deprogram. Exactly. And it's it's sort of like this. Yeah. And Jonathan Del Arco does a wonderful job of giving Hugh, um, for lack of a better word, like humanity, that type of agency and that, that, that warmness, that tenderness, like you talked about. And I don't think the episode would be as strong if we didn't have that. Um, I also love the fact that even though, I mean, really, when you look at the episode, his bond is really with Jordy. And this is such a good Jordy, like Jordy, to be honest, I feel like Jordy doesn't get a lot of good episodes but I do feel like you could count this as a Jordy episode to some degree, yes. even though it, a big part of it is dedicated to like Guinan and Picard. And I love it because he's such a casual person, as we talked about. I love the scene where Hugh's like, you will be assimilated. And he's like, yes, but first, can we do some, <laughs> can we ask you some questions first? And he was like, okay, <laughs> I will comply. <laughs> oh, LeVar Burton is just such a fucking treasure. And and also, like, perfect for this situation. Like, I'm imagining, like, and we'll talk about later, Balana mm, as, as the chief engineer in a similar situation and her reaction to this. But Jordy, the way that Jordy just is as a scientist is always curious. Just always, always curious, always interested in new information and always able to accept the new information that he's receiving and allow it to get him to question his reality. That's one of my favorite things about the character of Jordy is that he is always open to new ideas in like every single situation. He like when he goes, when he has that like aha moment, Jordy's like aha moment, like face that he makes and, yeah. and like, it's just my favorite but he has so many of them because he's so open to it and that's why he's chief engineer you know but that's that's also why like him in this situation with a borg drone is perfect because he's not going to be uh restricted by preconceived notions about the borg also jordan kind of jordan kind of just treats it like it's another day at work he's like all right he's like i'm Come on, Picard wants me to figure out your programming so I can upload a virus. And then it's only later that we he's conflicted. But 
he might as well be working on a toaster, you know? He's just kind of yeah, like, Yeah, he's just like, cool, cool, cool. Just, but also, that's another beautiful thing about Jordy. He's like, mm. he's literally just, he's treating Hugh like a person. He's not treating Hugh like a Borg drone. He's treating Hugh like a, per- he's trying to make sure he's comfortable. You know, he and Beverly both, they're like, maybe he's hungry. Are you, how do you feel? Are you okay? You know, like they're not, yeah. they're not like, you're a drone and you've done bad things and we're going to treat you like you're a criminal because you've done bad things. They're like, I bet he's hungry. <laughs> well, it's interesting that you say that you because know? like Jordy is much more detached because I mean, he's, you're right. Like he's not kind of hung up on the drone. He's almost detached because he's looking at him as a, like a machine basically like he's like, hmm, how does this but thing work? And what's its his, power system? But and, and then Beverly is But also sort of, Jordy's best friend is a machine. Well, this is true. This is true. But I think it's sort of that like wonderful casualness sometimes of Jordy where he's just like, Okay, this is a system I have to figure it out. Where's its power button? Mm-hmm. You know, oh, okay, it needs a power all right. Like he's kind of distracted and focused on that. So he can't get kind of overwhelmed by, you know, like like you said, kind of any emotionals, uh hang ups about him. And then Crusher obviously is like, fuck you, this is my patient. So she's focusing on, again, sort of like biologically though, how does this thing work? How do we feed him? He needs to be taken care of. And there, I think the way, I think it's beautiful the way the writers decide to handle Hugh dealing with Crusher and Jordy because that is like the perfect scenario. You would have somebody who's working on the biological stuff of Hugh and then somebody working on the more, um, you know, I want to say mechanical. What am I thinking of? Tech technology. <laughs> Technological. Yeah. Mechanical sounds like he's a steampunk Borg or something. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Steam. <laughs> I said stream. <laughs> steampunk. Uh, he just put a top hat on him and Blah. gave him a monocle. <laughs> he, oh, he already has a monocle. He does. <laughs> Here's my monocle. Um, it is interesting, though, that now that I'm thinking about it, the data is not in this episode. I have thought about that, and I'm really thankful that they don't. Yeah. It's not like I, it's, it's not just, like data trying to teach Hugh about individuality because data is still trying to figure that out himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it would have become that mm. for sure. But my logical brain is like, but wouldn't data be assigned to this? <laughs> it would like, be a cool wouldn't, conversation. Like, wouldn't, they, wouldn't they have data? Wouldn't Jordy be like, hey, data, can you come in here and help me with this? Like, I feel like that would have. <laughs> But I, I, from a writing perspective, like looking at this like a, a play, a teleplay that it is, I understand. Yeah, because that's <laughs> that not it makes the... sense for Data not to be there. But like, yeah. when I think about the Enterprise as if it was real, and if I'm you like, think... Data would, Data would be there. And I don't want to get distracted with the Descent episodes because that's like its own thing. But we do get Lore and Data kind of interacting with the, the Borg after this episode. So. Yes, it, it does we start do to get, touch we upon do get that. It. Absolutely, um, but yeah, that would be something completely different. That actually makes me think of some of the points I have about drone from Voyager. But we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, like um, I also sorry to jump around, but also like I think this for me at least probably the the for the most iconic Guy and Picard interaction, which is the fencing scene. 
Oh my god, that scene is so fucking good. Yes, and, and that of scene course, is so good. And and for our listeners, like they're fencing, and you know, guy's like, I hear we have a guest, and and Picard saying like, Yeah, yeah, Crusher wanted to bring him for humanitarian reasons, and you know, she mentions about sort of like don't let your guard down, and so she pretends while they're fencing to have an injury, and he's like, Are you okay? And she she whaps him with her little fencing sword. And and is like, see, like you you had mercy for me. See what it got you. And her kind of wonderful way of illustrating like what could happen possibly. Um, oh and my I God, like, Whoopi Goldberg! Like holy yes. shit! Like she is. I am gonna say, and I don't care what anyone else says. <laughs> Guinan is her best acting role of her career, in my opinion. It's special. It's very special. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying this as someone who hasn't seen The Color Purple in a really long time. <laughs> I was thinking of a ghost. I do like her in Ghost. No, she, ghost where is, she got the Oscar? Ghost, she won the Academy Award yeah. for Ghost, not for Color Purple. She won for Ghost. Yeah. I mean, she's excellent. She's excellent in Ghost. And mm-hmm. I do also love the Sister Act movies. You know, like I love, I love her. I love her in everything she's ever done. Jumpin' Jack Flash. Yes, yes, yes. Guinan... Guinan is a special character. And I think one of the reasons is that she had such a hand in creating this character. Mm-hmm. That scene is just painful because they're both expressing the pain that they're feeling from their trauma. And they're both expressing valid points, too. I feel Absolutely like. yeah. valid because they're both intelligent people but they're being informed by their trauma and they're not processing that until they talk to Hugh watching Guinan process. That's I have to talk about that scene. Oh, when she goes to see Hugh and watching her process that pain and trauma with him is that's one of the moments that makes me weep cry because it calls back to an earlier scene when Hugh is talking about he can't hear the voices of the collective mm-hmm. in his mind. And Beverly says to him, it sounds like what you're saying is you're lonely. <laughs> <laughs> and then when Guinan goes to see him to confront him and is uh, making her monologue about how her people are spread across the universe now and there are so few of them left. And Hugh says, it sounds like what you're saying is you're lonely. It makes me want to cry just like right now talking about it. Because it's not only this fact that he's, it's not just him repeating it too. It's the fact that he's, he understands what it means. He understands Crusher, but he's trying to show empathy towards Guinan and Guinan isn't ready for that. The fact that this boar could be empathetic to her. He is showing. Yeah. He's, it's not, it's not that he's making an attempt. He's like, he put two and two together and he realized that they had something in common and he told her that they did. And he was correct. And Guinan was like, shit, await. And you see that in, Mm -hmm. In her face, you see it happen. And then after that moment, Guinan is changed. Yeah, Guinan and, is different. And she goes to Picard and he's like, don't try to convince me. And she's like, no, I think you need to convince me. Um, yeah. Which is an interesting twist on their relationship. 
Yeah. She's like, if you're going to do this, you have to convince me because I just changed my fucking mind. Yeah. And she's like, wait, 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 wait. You haven't even <laughs> talked to him? Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you that's wait. also like the fundamental difference, too, between the two of them is that she's like, I, she, she was, she was ready to go talk to him. She's like, here we go. I'm going to oh, go talk to him. But only after Jordy pushed her. Yeah. 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 Jordy, Jordy did have to push her a little bit. Yeah, and, that's, yeah. and then also, that's Jordy, like, Jordy is such a good friend to, like, oh. everyone. He has the best line. She's like, I wouldn't have anything to say to him. And he's like, well, maybe you should just listen. That's what you do anyways. Like, so many good lines in this episode. It's like, again, those sniper shots. Just pew, pew, pew. Sniper shots. <laughs> and everyone's got them. Everyone yeah. has one. I mean, Crusher always has lots of them, especially when it comes to, like, She's like, so you're telling me I can't do my job as a doctor? Are you really going to fuck with me right now? Like, I just want to make sure we're talking about genocide. Like, <laughs> I just wanted to make sure. Just throwing that out there. Genocide? Um, Is that what we're saying? Yes, yes, yes. Um, and then there's a lot of stuff from this episode, of course, that like ends up getting used in Voyager, like the genocide thing. There's the whole thing with Ichab and how he got assimilated, mm. how his parents yeah. created him. To destroy the Borg. <laughs> so, like, they, you, this, this does feel like they, they went back to this episode, not just for Picard, but for Voyager as well. And, and like, it's like they looked back at, like, the best Borg episodes. They were like, cool, we're going to pick these parts and then seed Voyager with them and seed mm. Picard with them, you know, which makes sense. I mean, that also, comes back up in drone as well. And then there's another episode where the, it's the episode where uh, uh, seven is hearing all the voices of the um, yes. people that she's assimilated. And then they find that piece of the Borg drone that's been infected with a synthetic virus to destroy it. And there is like, again, another species of alien. That's like, we developed a virus to destroy the Borg. <laughs> so some of us got assimilated on purpose so that we could destroy the Borg. Like it's <laughs> Yeah. Well, hey, every just... everyone's trying to fucking destroy the Borg. Like but <laughs> I understand why. I get it. I did think this was a little weird in this episode when when Picard and Guinan were talking and Picard was like, you know, they used to, you know, back in the day, they used to use lab like rats and dogs and animals for tests. And sometimes there'd be a problem if someone got. Oh, I'm sorry. He's talking to Jordy. And it's yeah, like, yeah. and he's don't um, name don't name the lab rat. Yeah, he's like they would it would be a problem <laughs> if they got attached to their specimens. He's like, I I recommend you you know detach yourself from. And I'm thinking like, yeah, but didn't didn't you guys? decide that was like horrible so shouldn't the fact that you're making that comparison be a bad sign that's the only thing from this episode that i, yeah. I realized the point but i'm like yeah but you should be even disgusted with that like <laughs> i i think that that's a scene that's an indication of like how deep in his trauma picard is that he's trying to um rationalize it yes yeah yes. i actually agree i was like that's kind of nice to show that he's so trying to stonewall this issue that he's like, mm, mm, no, you guys can't yeah. see what I'm doing. I'm like pushing my hand yeah. up to the camera being like, I don't want to face <laughs> no, this no, issue. No, 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 <laughs> La, 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 la. Yeah, exactly. Losing. Yes. But I agree. Picard, most of this episode, he's like, la, 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 I can't hear you. <laughs> and, 
And then we'll talk about this, but Janeway's reaction to this whole situation is completely the opposite. Yeah, I was thinking if Picard was the the captain for Voyager, like this would be a much different series. <laughs> like, I don't know if we'd have a seven of nine. So many people would be left behind. You'd be like, sorry, you knew what you uh, were getting yourself into when you signed up. But also, up. Janeway murders people a lot. Yeah, but she's like much more like, we got to get our crew. And he's like, yeah, is yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's, I feel like that's a good segue to, to maybe starting to yes. talk about drone. <clears throat> <laughs> All right. We are going to talk about drone. Drone. Voyager and uh, you probably know better than I do. What season is this? Like, what season episode are we at? This is season five, episode two. Oh, okay. I thought we'd be farther along. Um, I just want to say one yeah. thing before we start, because I, I did do my due diligence and kind of read up on this episode, but I feel like an interesting thing to talk about. <laughs> I didn't. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. I love, like, watching episodes <laughs> and reading about them on, you know, the internet and kind of getting the background. Yeah. And this one, I was really curious because, I mean, obviously you watch this and you, you kind of have to think about, you know, Hugh and Iborg, but part of me really wanted to see where this episode started from. And it started in a much different place. Um, this episode originally was pitched as a quote unquote Terminator Borg. They wanted this technologically. <laughs> no, they wanted this like futuristic Borg with this super technology to like wreak havoc on the ship and be like a killing machine. And eventually it got rewritten to be more of a, again, kind of like a trying to make it a character story with like obviously one and seven. And then the idea that like, what if seven and the doctor were kind of like parents to the drone? So I kind of feel like I have to mention that first, because when I watched it, knowing that I was like, ah, okay, I feel like I'm kind of getting insight to a couple of things about this episode, but I want to give it to you and throwing the ball in your court and seeing what you think about drone. And if you want to give a little bit of a synopsis to the listener. Oh, sure, sure, sure. I would love to have fun. Cause this one's, I feel like a lot more. Woo. There's, it's more <laughs> convoluted. Yes. Uh, so drone. So there's a, an away team, a small away team that's going to uh, survey. Uh, what is it? It doesn't a, even matter. Oh, a, it's a, they're going to do, they're doing a survey in space. Oh, it's a little baby nebula. Oh, okay. That's just being born. And I think it's like, it's seven, the doctor and like Tom and Bolana. And they end up flying through this nebula and something bad happens. So they need to be transported out. And when they're transported out, something happens with their patterns and they're all mixed up. Transporter accident. Right. <laughs> do, 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 do. Ding, 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 Our ding, first ding. episode. Um, <clears throat> they're like, I can't separate their patterns. And then they're like, okay, got it, got it, got it. Patterns are separated. Everyone's fine. And then the doctor's like, glitch, glitch, glitch. My mobile emitter. I should have done a drinking game where I just drank. I did a shot every time the doctor was like, my mobile emitter. You, you'd be so rushed many to fucking the hospital. Ca- he will just, <laughs> just my mobile emitter, but my mobile emitter. He's like, something's wrong. It was damaged in transport. So Balana's like, I'll take a look at it tomorrow. The next day, the doctor invades her privacy more than one time Sorry. while she's changing and trying to take a shower. I don't understand how this is possible. I, know, I was very upset. I, I do love the fact <laughs> that it's like six in the morning and he's like, hello. 
early what early bird day. gets the guy. Like this is this is a great <sighs> episode for Robert Picardo. I must say it is. He's he's very funny, but it's also very 1998. It, it is. It is. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's like you do not. No, you do not. That is. You absolutely don't. Yeah, he, he especially he kind of... especially on a view. Like, why couldn't it just be audio? It would have been funny if it was just audio too. I know that was just supposed to be like a yeah da 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 Robert oh. Picardo. Um, that's <laughs> fine. Wait, I, I feel like uh, if the listener is completely like, what the fuck are they talking about? He he's bugging her, and then when she proceeds to the shower, he shows up there on screen, and she's like, hey, and he's like, it's nothing I've haven't seen before. So Dude. that's what we're referring Dude. to. Yeah, which is very dated now. It's very dated. And and also, like, I'm like, why is there a video phone in your bathroom? Right? That's um, a good question. Anyway, during the time uh, that Bellano was sleeping, we, we, like, get a zoom in on the mobile emitter in the science lab. And it ends up uh, after people leave and it's dark in there. <laughs> The mobile emitter makes two little like, what are they called? Pew! I don't They're... know, but like tentacle. It's like Doc Ock, Spider Man tendrils, where it's just like. Pew. They have a name though. What you do? What are they right. called? I don't mm. remember. Yeah, the little, the little wires? wiggly <laughs> wires. <laughs> uh, and it it starts to uh, plug itself into the console that it's sitting on. Mm-hmm. The next day, this ensign goes in there and is like, what the fuck is this? And gets pierced ah. pierced with the wiggly tentacle, <sighs> Borg tentacles. And when he's discovered, they take him to sick bay, And then they find out that the mobile emitter has created a Borg maturation chamber, taken... DNA from this ensign and started to grow a fucking baby. Oh, the Borg babies are back. And it's a CGI Borg baby, too. It's a little Voyager. CGI Borg Ooh. baby. It's it's not an actual baby with things glued to its head. Which we have seen it is, before in which TNT. I just God, I love I love it. I love it. We we do see one time a we baby. Do. With things glued to its head on Voyager, and that is baby Naomi Wildman. Oh, but no, in TNG, remember they pull out like the drawer, and it's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There yeah, appears yeah. to be, and that's like the only time yeah. you can tell the writers were like, N- the Borg don't do that. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, no, no, no. But then here they're like, the Borg don't do that. Yeah, they're like, but they did though. They, did. I guess they could assimilate um, babies though. There were they could assimilate a yeah. baby. That is and, really and it, fucked up. Yeah, and then they would just be like, well, we'll just put them in this drawer. <laughs> <laughs> for now. Like, we'll put it in this drawer that's like for like baby chicks, you know? All right. Uh, uh, under a heating lamp. Um, <laughs> but so it's just like this, this Borg baby floating in this goo in a chamber yeah like a water uh, water-esque chamber yeah and they uh they discover this because seven's like a proximity detector in her yes one of her nodes in her head is like ding 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 there's borg nearby and she's like where's the borgs harry's like there's no borgs and she's like something's telling me there's borgs it happens again that's when they find the ensign in the science lab all that stuff yeah so uh, she's like, hey, Janeway, I can shut this down. We can just shut it down. And Janeway's like, no, let's not shut it down. 
She has that voice. I'm not ready to make that call yet. Oh, I forgot. I also forgot something really important, which is that when they're, they're like, oh, there's a Borg signature coming from the science lab and Seven's like, I'll meet you there. Immediately, the doctor's like, the science lab? That's where my mobile emitter is. I know. And he says it to the, it's like he, he doesn't break the fourth wall, but he's not saying it to anyone. He's clearly saying it so the audience will remember don't forget people the mobile emitter yep. but really all of this all this does is just like make the doctor really obnoxious about the mobile emitter oh, and i understand like he does it so well though he's like my freedom's at stake it's amazing so yeah janeway's like let's not shut it down let's see what happens so they just like wait literally just like a few more hours right. and then all of a sudden boink this thing's already There's an adult Borg. This grown Borg who is not played by the same guy as the Ensign, which is a disappointment to me, <laughs> exits the maturation chamber and immediately is like, give me instructions. What is my designation? Yes. And Seven and Seven is like, I'm going to try to do this. Janeway says we should try to like get you to be a team member now. So I'm going to try to tell you that you're an individual immediately and it's going to confuse the shit out of you. I thought you were going to say team player, um, which I feel like would be part of Voyager. <laughs> we're a team. We're a family. Uh, you too. You were born here. Let's do this. <laughs> this drone is like, I don't get it. I don't get it. What's my yeah. des- designation? Does not compute. Seven we hear Does not lot. compute. And Seven has to be like, comply, comply, comply. Seven has to give decides that she basically has to Borg drone version of mind meld with <laughs> this new baby drone. And she, uh, it's tubules, right? She is that like, what it is? Sh- sure. We'll go with that. With I like that. Tubules. Right. And she's like giving him information with her little tubules out of her hand. But then he's like, Whoa, information. And he like grabs her and apparently starts sucking more info out of her. He tries to assimilate everything in her brain. And as this is happening, she looks at him and she says, please stop. You're hurting me. Yeah. She's like, stop. And like, that's, you're hurting me. Yeah. Yeah. Like physically. Yeah. And so he stops. This will become important. Mm-hmm. This is kind of like the. I would just. It sounds like what you mean is your lonely I know. Line. I just like, this by like the way, that I got line. through uh, I Borg in like two minutes, maybe. And you're you're you have just described maybe the first ten minutes of this episode. I know this is there's actually a lot going on because like they don't just find a drone; they're growing a drone. Drone is growing. It's also years later. This is 1998, you guys. It was more complicated in 1998. Anyway, that's when he's like, "Oops, sorry," and he stops. She then just like kind of takes him on as her little baby. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> She's sort of the mother and, figure, the surrogate mother. Yeah. So she creates like these bricks that he can assimilate information from. And she starts to basically just keep teaching him. He keeps asking her about the Borg and she's like, ah, I don't want to tell him. <laughs> Let's not talk about <laughs> that right now. Tell him about the that because it's also really difficult for her because she is still going through the process mm-hmm. of recovering from the trauma of being assimilated. So she had turned off the little, uh, radio device in his head that would <laughs> would contact a board ship like a proximity no yeah. it's like a homing beacon okay, okay. to like contact <laughs> the borg and be like come get me yeah 
homing device. She turned it off. Walkie but talkie. Because, <laughs> but because he was created from 29th century technology yeah. with the from the uh, the doctor's mobile emitter, he made another one. Yeah, it was able to adapt <laughs> and like bypass all these things they did and be like, yeah, motherfucker. So the Borg are on their way to get him, and the Voyager crew are like shit this is like the most advanced drone that's ever existed if they assimilate this drone like we're all fucked exactly. like we cannot let this happen so one i can't remember when he chooses this name i don't remember he's like uh i can take care of them i can get rid of them i can do this and he like <laughs> he like beams himself apparently he's got his own transporter yeah built-in transporter he goes on the ship and then he's like Going up to them and going like, pew, pew, and just like yep. hitting them with some sort of force field. <laughs> yep, yep. So he blows up the, I can't remember if it's a cube or a sphere. And they're like, oh, crap, he just did that. And then they find out that he's still alive. So they beam him back, beam him to sick bay, and he's dying. And he just, you know, saved all of their lives. And he's like, they will never stop looking for me. Yeah, they know about me. They know about me now, and they know that they want the technology that I have. They want to assimilate me. I And then he says, I was an accident. I should not exist. And it's really sad. And then the doctor's like, we can talk about this later. Right now, I got to do my surgery. And he's like, joop, and puts up, uh, one puts up a force field preventing the doctor from saving his life. And... It's really sad. And then Seven looks at him and says, you're hurting me. Yes. <laughs> uh, which that, that like bookend of the the echo that of just, that moment is to me the, the best part of the episode. Just just God, that. that like destroy. It destroys me. Yeah. Completely. She says you're hurting um, me, but it's it's more about yeah. heartbreak. Yeah. And then one dies and it's really sad. Yeah. But hey, the doctor got his mobile. Yeah, I know. I <laughs> I have to admit, during the episode, I was waiting for him to be like, well, this is nice and all, but, like, can I get my fucking mobile emitter back, maybe? Can we just beam him, beam it out of his brain? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, guys. like, So it's a it's a much more complicated it episode. Is. It um, is. And it's mostly centered around seven and one. Um, there is There's definitely less of a plot specifically following crew members having to come around to this Borg drone. Like there is a little bit of that from Bolana. Bolana's like, God damn, are they just gonna start like growing babies on ships now and just joining crews? Yeah. She's like, what are you doing in my engineering room? But but you know, she's like that to everyone. But then but then one's like, uh, hey, I can help you with that problem yes. that you've been having. And she's like, oh, okay, cool. Now you're cool. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's no, there's no like long process of convincing anyone that uh, one needs to be accepted or cared for. Janeway is immediately like, yeah, what if we can just convince him that he's an individual quicker? Remember, we had, she's always like, we did it with you. We can do it with anyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the, hmm, hmm. So first of all, I want to <clears throat> say that like the remixes are never about like announcing a winner but this is just one of those things where like i borg like we said is such a beloved episode not only by larissa and i but the fandom that it's like you could put i borg up against a lot of episodes and we would say like i borg is kind of a better episode 
So like no surprise, we're going to probably say that Iborg does a lot of things better, but it, it is really interesting when you have something else that really kind of spines a shot, a spotlight on what Iborg does so well. And by the way, like drone is a perfectly fine episode. Like I watch it. I like it, but just because of the nature of it, you can't help but think of Hugh and Iborg, yeah. right? Yeah. And the th- the, Definitely. for me, one of the interesting things is the fact that it did start out more like a like a horror story, like a Michael Myers or, or type of thing where it's like you just or this Terminator drone, the idea that you were going to have a drone that would merge these technologies and be an unstoppable um, futuristic Borg, which would be really scary, honestly. Yeah. Luckily, it's a baby. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but but like it's so funny because like when you know that you can really see the the shadow of that, the echo of that idea in the beginning, because especially when you're talking about like um, even even seven being like, oh, my little like doopity doop is going off proximity. And, um, you know, she's in the there's a, a scene where she's being checked out by the doctor in sick bay and she like the camera zooms in on her and she looks over her shoulder because she notices something and there's like a music mm-hmm. sting. And I'm like, God, that's so like horror movie-esque. That makes so much sense given where this episode yeah. started out. And then, you know, the ensign goes in and it's all that boar green color. And of course he like, it's it's like a it's like a horror movie. You're like, don't go in yeah. there. And he goes in. And, and it's really things, humid like, for some reason. It's always, yep. Yeah, it's like call yep. for fucking backup. Be like Tuvok. Yeah. But so many things seem like a horror movie. So you can tell that's kind of like where it started. And then it does sort of this like twist where it's like, oh, it's a baby. But um, <laughs> but it goes, I was thinking about this earlier this week because it goes from horror movie to like three cadets and a baby to um, like an, <laughs> almost like an action film. By the time we get to the end, there's a lot of like tonal changes. And we were just talking about how Iborg was like so efficient and kind of that sniper you know, precision of dialogue. And it was just so well edited and cut. And I feel like, unfortunately, the more and more I have to talk about Voyager, I realize that one of the, I don't want to say complaints, but one of the observations I have is that I feel like sometimes they're trying to do a lot. And kind of like how an author, author, we said that, you know, it's like they really have this AI rights, but they, they kind of are touching upon like the oppression the doctor feels and in this episode, it's like, okay, what are we doing? Like, what are we doing? Are we are we doing like a character piece? Is this about one? Is this about seven? Like, I don't at the by the end, yeah. I've had a fun time, but I'm also like, what the hell just happened? <laughs> like, who was that for? Yeah, yeah, you know, and, and it, like it, it seems like we've missed a couple of key scenes to me by the end. I feel like in Iborg, we have a couple of key conversations that carry us to the last kind of crescendo of the episode. One is when Hugh and Jordy are talking about, and Jordy kind of has his great monologue about like I, I say I, I decide what I want to do, and you know he explains he has friends, and and Hugh says, oh, friends, someone to talk to, like. Hugh and Jordy, like that's a huge moment in the episode. <laughs> and then I know, I know, Larissa's is crying. And then the other great scene that kind of really like puts its claws in you is the Hugh and Lacuda scene, you know, i.e. Picard, because that's the so other powerful. thing. Yeah, that's just like the catalyst to the end, to the to the final act. And I feel like we never really quite get a scene like that in Drone where it it 
catapults us to the final act of the episode where he's saving Enterprise. He's just, does that make sense? How do you feel? I'm yeah. sorry. I was rambling. Please. Pl- no, no, Marissa. no. You weren't rambling. That completely, I completely <laughs> agree with that. There is, there is no, um, like we said, like the most emotional moment in this episode is when one dies and that's partially because of that really nice writing moment, the callback to his first conversation with Seven mm. when he was hurting her. That and that because of the the like sort of poignance of that particular sentence, just it, it being well written and emotional. I was I would actually then I guess I would argue the only moment I can point to is when he says thank you before they start to regenerate. Right. But that doesn't seem huge. It seems like a small moment that's going to lead to a bigger moment. You know what I mean? Yeah. It seems like the beginning of something, not the the meat of the thing. It seems like an appetizer. <laughs> it's it's edamame. It's not the sushi roll. I I think that they wanted that moment to be it. That's what it seems like. Yeah. Because that's really the only moment that we get where she connects to him like a parent in a way. Um, which is, I think, what they were trying to do with this, of course, like like you said, but it doesn't have the same gravity mm-hmm. as these scenes that we got in Iborg, the scene with Jordy, the scene with Guinan, the scene with Picard. We also don't really get a scene with one in Janeway. We don't really get a scene with one and. EMH, except for that one scene where he says, like, you've got your mother's sense of humor, um, which is, I think, also supposed to be a moment as well. But it's just kind of like, that's just something the fucking doctor would say. (laughs) You know? Yeah, it's almost like the the, the thing we brought up with why it wouldn't work with Hugh and Data, really, why it would be a different story some of those things are kind of what are happening between one and seven, right? I I almost Mm -hmm. am surprised this episode came so early because it feels like it would be better. Because part of it too is like, I don't feel like seven necessarily at this point would believe everything she's telling him. Does that make sense? Yeah. When she's like, Voyager is my family. I feel like she's looking over her shoulder being like, um, this is what the crew wants me to say. Yeah. I feel like the, like this is a test run for the kids. Yes, there's the kids, and then I that's, was going to say that's what this sounds like. The episodes where she's like pretend dating Chakotay in the holodeck, it almost feels like this storyline would have better served that phase in in Seven's development, where like push it back a couple of seasons. And, but you know, when they pitched this episode, it wasn't about that. It was about this killer drone on the ship, which part of me wonders, much like the Enterprise episode, where it was just like Vulcan zombies. Like, would it have been better if maybe if they were going to have it this early to just be like, yeah, do that. Like, just do that. Like, futuristic killer Borg on the Enterprise, um, or like move it later when Seven was a little farther along. Because I think maybe we, we could have gotten more from it. Yeah. I mean, I I think that, like, personally, just because of, like, the arc that they had intended for Seven to have and just the fact that Seven as a character exists in this show to begin with, if they had done the killer Borg futuristic drone, they would have had no choice but to explore the fact that, like, this is actually a living thing that was created on this ship, like they would have had to go into it 
somehow from a, yeah, whether from that's a different angle yeah yeah whether that's through seven or through Janeway yeah. which would have been made more sense to be honest because like you said at this point in seven's arc she is not all the way there yet she's still cooking um, <laughs> she is she's still cooking okay. uh she's got a lot of shit to go through but when they later on bring the kids in mm, yes that works so well all of a sudden she's a little borg maria von trapp <laughs> and it is fantastic and because they're actually played by child actors mm-hmm. we immediately have a need to protect them we have forgiveness for them we feel empathy for them we feel bad that they have been assimilated. It's the same thing that you were sort of saying about the way that Jonathan Del Arco plays Hugh, that we f- we feel like we want to protect him. We believe him and we forgive him. We're not afraid of him. And then we've got this guy playing one who I don't feel that way for the same way. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about... Um, J. Paul Bomer. I want to save this for later, but he's been in a ton of episodes, apparently. J. Paul Bomer, which, again, sir, please don't take it personally if you're listening to this yeah. podcast. But <laughs> yeah, but we, uh, yeah, him, one versus Hugh. Big difference, right? It's a huge difference. I think some of it is just aesthetic for me. I think some of it is the actual design of the costume in Voyager. His costume design looks like awkward to me. It kind of looks like inflatables. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it I... doesn't feel right. Um, and also I think part of it is his height. Jonathan Del Arco is quite short and that actually, I mean, does for human people like the shorter you are the more likely that people want to take care of you that's just like that's just the it's the truth as a very short person i can attest to this being true and also it means i'm infantilized a lot but no i mean but that's just like how it is i mean yeah definitely they're like oh you're just a little baby and i'm like i am you're like very close to 40 i was gonna say it's like 40 (laughs) Get the fuck off. I'm a grown ass woman with a mortgage. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but while but, you're up, get me a drink. <laughs> yes, but yes, yeah, sure. Oh, if you want to carry me in your backpack, no problem. Yes, I would love to be carried around in your backpack. But that's that's a real thing because Jonathan Del Arco is is small in stature compared to Jordy, even compared to Beverly. Like you kind of end up seeing him more as more of a child. Uh, the actor that plays one is very tall, and he's more like of a of a man. Like if if for instance, if if Jonathan Del Arco he's more masculine, did try for out sure. for Will Wheaton, that tells you something about his age when he played Hugh. He's definitely supposed to be true. like a late teen. True, 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 true. Yes, I don't know if it's also like the way he stands. My analysis. Do you want me to? You want me to try to take the ball? Yes. Tell me why I don't like this well, drone let me, as much. I don't mean to interrupt you, but let me tell you my analysis and you can see if you and if you agree with any of it. I, I've first of all, we, we kind of talked about this a little bit before we started recording. I it's a little detail, but the fact that they actually digitally kind of manipulate 
Jonathan Del Arco's voice, I, I think does add a little bit to his borginess. I feel like Jonathan Del Arco's Hugh truly like more of a of a Borg who has been reborn and is very childlike. One feels the whole time a little bit more just like a robot or a computer the whole time. And I don't know. I've never seen RoboCop 3, but I've seen clips of it. I feel like Dan would know about this if you talked to Dan. Yeah. But by the time they got to RoboCop 3, it was a PG-13, so it was very different than the original ones. But RoboCop 3 is very Saturday morning cartoon and very like, citizen, I will arrest you. Ba-ba-da-bum. And, and it... it I realized I was like, holy shit, like one feels like RoboCop 3 where it's just Somo's kind of, um, yeah, like a cartoony robot a little bit. And yeah, he is cartoony. There's no subtlety. Yeah. I, I really do feel like those little moments when Jonathan Del Arco is talking to Crusher, to Jordy, to Picard even, and he has those moments where he's, you know, looking to the side or at the floor because he's thinking or processing it shows the biological humanoid that's behind the Borg technology. And I don't know if it's just, if it was just played differently because one is supposed to be really a drone versus someone who's been, you, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. Someone who's been assimilated. Like yeah. This. Like again, I don't know what the notes were while he was playing it, but I just felt like he comes off so much more one note. Yeah. The, the fact that one has never been a separate being one was created, one was not assimilated. Mm, so that's an interesting point. So like one doesn't have that context or even just like muscle memory mm-hmm. from before when when they were of a, a single biological being. You know, one has always been a cyborg. Yeah. And so that's that's like really difficult to play. Like I can see how as an actor that would be like really hard to like figure out how do I do that? Like, where am I coming from? Like, first of all, like blank slate also just born. Yeah. There's no before you know? the Borg, you know, it's just boom out of the gate. And, and right. So like, where am I pulling from here for like the way I speak? Where am I pulling from for, you know, all of these things? I mean, I do understand the choice to not do an effect on his voice. I think sometimes they do that so that it can sound like more than one voice, you know, happening at the same, because sure. the Borg is a collective and that one is a single, huh. is actually like singular. That's true. I get all those things. I just don't feel like they work together to make me care. They logically and intellectually make sense to me. Yeah. You know, but but I also look at it and I'm like, but I don't, really care that much yeah the it feels like with iborg the audience really cares about hugh and we're kind of pissed at guinan and picard you know ultimately the viewer is sort of you know on the side of hugh i feel like very early on yes and with what with one honestly again like from the very beginning it being sort of pitched as like a horror story like i think if anything we're like don't hurt seven like we're kind of yes. worried for this creature and we never really get a chance to, I feel like, root for one and fall in love with him the way we do here. Yep. And that's okay if that's not the point of the episode. But I don't feel like the episode really highlights a point it's trying to do. If it's really about seven, 
that's fine. But besides that one point we made about like the you're hurting me at the end, that seems like a small reward for such a whole episode. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. It's not as emotionally driven. And I do feel like this a lot more often when I watch Voyager, not being able to choose what tone. Yes. We're in. And and the fact that because one is set up to be a horror trope in a way, there needs to be a really big moment to flip that switch for us as viewers so that we're not afraid of him anymore. There has to be an aha moment. And and I really I do think, again, that that was supposed to be <laughs> the moment where he's like, thank you. And she's like, we have to regenerate like that was supposed <laughs> to be the moment. But it's yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you're you're right. That is like the one moment where it, it it's like that's the beauty of Hugh and Jordy's relationship. That's why Jordy's so important to Iborg is because through their friendship, we also become friends of Hugh. That sounds so like mushy, but it's true. No, uh, but you know, I love <laughs> But we don't have stuff. because Seven is so still like, you know, the whole point, especially in season five, is she's still very kind of standoffish and cold. Like, we don't have any surrogate character to really bond with one because Seven doesn't allow that yet with the viewer, really. Like, we're kind of yeah. just passively seeing her story at this point. So we don't really have yeah. anyone. The closest we kind of get to is Neelix, but that doesn't count. Like, Neelix is just He's sort of barely like in this the episode. Ship. But you need that, you need that Jordy character to sort of feel like you're part of the conversation and so by the end when he's like oh my god I gotta save seven and the whole ship I'm kind of like really because I do think it's interesting how they're trying to hide just the whole fact of what the board collective is and he is sort of tempted like he's like I want to experience this it sounds amazing yeah that sounds like but they they kind of just like Go, move on it feels like we miss a few scenes and then he's like oh my god you're after seven and the voyager crew i gotta stop them but it almost seems like he doesn't understand why he's stopping them because he's not yes yeah he's not as bonded to them or any individual the way hugh and Jordy are bonded that is also the other big difference is that we never give one an aha moment. Yes, exactly. Like, yes, the friendship between Hugh and Jordy is really important, but also the fact that, like, because of that friendship, Hugh has an aha moment yes, about he, the board. It's, much, it's a lot about Hugh's journey, too. And yes, just feels like a MacGuffin to me. Yeah, he doesn't ever have that moment where he's like, oh, the Bork are bad. And mm-hmm. that's frustrating. Like, because actually, I do feel like there could have been a moment with him and Seven where Seven was like, it was awful for me. I feel terrible for what I did when I was in the collective. Like, there's none of that. Yeah, they just know? are like, the Borg are bad. And that's it. And he's just yeah, like, and one's okay. Like, okay. But I kind of still want to meet them though. <laughs> okay, they're bad. But but what if I just met them just, real quick? Just for coffee. <laughs> just I just want to ask them like four questions. <laughs> <laughs> But it's it's true. There's no there really is nothing. Yeah, you're right. There's never that that pinnacle, that conversation, like you said, that aha moments the way we have. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like the thing that makes it so beautiful in Iborg is that Hugh's aha moment is. But wait, so that means that Jordy would have to be assimilated. And yes, like you see him. Yes. Figuring it out. Well, here's something fun. Can I tell you something real quick about the actor who plays one? 
He's uh Bolana's like uh uh hook hookup fuck boy in uh the killing game in Voyager. That's the one where the 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 Nazi episode there the Nazi holodeck episode where the the hunters take over. I'm like, dude, oh, okay. This is why I don't like him. <laughs> he is like he's been okay. I think I he has played three Nazis. Okay, is could it possibly be though that Enterprise Zero Hour and Enterprise Stormfront is like a semi two part episode, or did, has he really played three separate Nazis? It I mean, looks like they're all blonde. I can see why they're like you make a good Nazi. It looks sir, like but... they're all named different names. Like in oh, shit. in Zero Hour, he's officer, right. and Stormfront, he's SS agent. So I think he's played three fucking different fucking Nazis. So I'm I'm sure I'm sure now like that there is a something in my head that's like do not trust him. He's also in Enterprise Carbon Creek, mm-hmm. and he is also in Deep Space Nine, tracking into the wind as a Cardassian. So yeah, he's so he's also to, been uh, a space Nazi, and he's also been a space. Yeah, I I feel like he'd be like, dude, can I not be a Nazi? Maybe. <laughs> Like, I'm, I'm sure that's why he was like, yes, give me this drone character. I love it. It's not a Nazi. Right? <laughs> it's a baby. <laughs> so he's playing, he's playing Nazis and babies. And boring babies. <laughs> and yeah. Boring babies. Yeah. Uh, the one I remember the most, of course, is the killing game. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And I fucking hate him in that episode. Yeah, I mean he's great. He's in that he's episode, fantastic. So. He's disgusting. He's yeah. so slimy and he's, gross. And he's perfect for that role. He is I mean, absolutely perfect for that yeah. role. But like Sorry, now that I'm thinking about this great, voice, you're a great Nazi. <laughs> like I'm thinking about his voice, like saying Nazi shit. You know what I mean? Like his that same voice <laughs> saying Nazi things. And I thought about that. Can you imagine yikesy. all the like? Casting directors are like, quick, get us all the, the blonde, blue-eyed, chiseled men you can find. Yep. And they're like, God damn it, I'm another Nazi? Oh, my God, he was in a movie called The Good German. Oh, my God, what the <laughs> fuck? No. This guy. He's best. He is best known for his numerous appearances in Star Trek Universe. This is Wikipedia. As Nazis. As in Nazis. video games. Anyway, so, yeah, I've, I now have a... Uh, some words to use to describe why why one doesn't do it for me. <laughs> okay. And I'm grateful for that. For a long time I was like, I don't know what it is about this guy, but I don't I'm not I don't like it. And now I'm like former Nazi. <laughs> <laughs> His costume looks like a pool inflatable I do have something to say about his outfit. I, I don't know if it's one of the things that has just fallen victim to the fact that we have better TVs now. But uh, Larissa and I over time have noticed sometimes with episodes and the better TVs that we have now that it's like, oh, you can see that total wig line on that Cardassian headpiece or whatever with the makeup. But I feel like with um, one, it's very obvious that it's sort of just like a rubbery thing on the back of his head. And the rubber sort of twists. And I realize they're going for a very, like, streamlined, futuristic look. Yeah. Um, But it unfortunately, this sort of, like, rubber piece that he's wearing 
that seems to just bend when he bends. It doesn't have a lot of joints or anything. That that sort of takes you out of it a little bit. I'm amazed and pleased how much like the TNG Borg, when they're just getting like it, shit and spray painting it black and like just attaching it. I feel like it the aesthetic holds up. It really does. It really, yeah, really does. And, like, it really does. And one just has kind of like this rubber one piece that unfortunately just you can kind of you you just you can tell. And and we have to mention that like Voyager was the season that I think really got into the CGI effects. So, you know, it, it was a product of its time. But when the mobile emitter kind of shoots the little wires and tendrils and when we see the Borg baby, it's a little laughable because it just looks really it looks like it was the 90s. Yeah, <laughs> it, do, it doesn't look yeah great to me. It's it's kind of I just feel like this in general, like practical effects just tend to age better than early CGI. Yeah. Well, especially, yeah. Early CGI on a budget. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Also, there's, there's something about like his skin as well. Like in, in the era of I Borg, it's like, they were just like putting like white cream face paint on. Yeah. And like flour. Yeah. You know, and it was like, fine. I was fine with it. Um, There's something about this texture and color. It like makes me afraid that there are insect larvae in there. (laughs) I, I'm not a fan. Like it looks, it looks like decay to me instead of looking like, Mm. uh, like, like with the, the Borg skin color in TNG, it kind of just looks like lack of blood. Right. And this design looks like he's been a dead body in a river for too long. Yeah, almost like zombie-ish a little bit. Yeah. I can see that. You're right. A drowning is, victim. Yeah, it does look more sickly, more dead. To, he, what did you say, like decomposing? Yeah, he, yeah he looks like a <laughs> drowning victim. Oh, no, it's like Twin Peaks. Yes. Laura pa- it's, it's like Laura Palmer. Shit. It's Laura Palmer. No. Or like any any fucking dead body in a river in CSI Miami, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> that's just, that's what I'm seeing here. Uh, in conclusion, yes. <laughs> I have a thought, though, of a way, to, okay. of a way that I would have solved this. It, it has to be more than one episode yeah yeah like you have to have him join the crew for a while you have to give him a several episode arc and then when he dies it's like oh shit you know because like he's basically a just a child so like you have to like teach him how to walk like basically like he didn't even know how to use his little tubules and she had to show him how to use his little tubies in his his hand you know what i mean like you we need to give him more time to grow up and realize these things that you can't do that in just a single episode. So if we had had him on Voyager for like a a month, even just a month, then it's like, oh, he gets it now. Now he's like growing up here, you know. Well, and I think this I think this shows again like the efficiency of the writing, where not only makes sense, but they're able to to just sort of make these little great little compact nuggets of storytelling in TNG is. I think you could have told it 
in one story if you wanted to. I mean, for comparison, I, I thought this was interesting. One article I read about Voyager pointed out that it's the first time we hear one talk, we are 18 minutes into the episode versus by the time that Picard is talking about in that ready room scene where he's talking about, hey, let's maybe uh, put a virus on this, on Hugh and send him back. That is 10 minutes into the episode. So that just tells you how different yeah. the pacing is. Yeah. So we did spend a lot of time on some horror movie tropes. We did. We did. And so it's sort of like because Voyager does tend to, I think, stuff itself. I even think if it was a two-parter where, Vo- where um, the drone does join the Borg for a while. Because he is... I mean, that's where you feel like the episode is going. Like, he's yeah. going to get tempted and join the Borg and then be like, oh, shit. And then have a change of heart. Yeah. And, but it doesn't. It just sort of, like, wraps itself up. Yeah. I mean, but, like, I mean, technically, logically, that couldn't happen because then they would assimilate his technology. And and even if then he just destroyed the one cube he was on, it would have been assimilated by the whole collective. At oh that fuck point. that! They could, <laughs> <laughs> they could, they could, they can write, write their way out of, out of that. It. Come on, they can write. Come their on, way wait, out I mean, of he's it. a 29th century Borg. They could totally just be like, he bloop, he bloop, the boop, 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 <laughs> and then it's like, oh, okay, moving on. You're totally right. You're totally right. You're right. I, you're right. Logically, is... that's what would happen. Yeah. But he'd be like, well, my technology was able to blah, 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 because yes. it's from the future. They could literally do anything they and wanted. And then I would be like, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> exactly. And then we'd be having an episode about how that didn't make sense <laughs> and why the episode didn't work because of that. And we'd be like, he should have just never gone to the Borg in the first place. Wow, it's and- like we just time traveled <laughs> or something. <laughs> oh, you know how I feel about that. We just went to a different. Oh, my God. I'm excited then for us to talk about the Picard trailer. <laughs> oh, I know. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I know. Well, this has been really fun. I yeah. I love the Borg as just an entity in this universe. And like one of the things I love the most about Voyager is that it goes so deep into exploring the board yeah yeah definitely seven of nine is one of my favorite characters in star trek period and i love episodes with her i it's interesting to look at this as a trial run for the baby borgs later on yeah it's a fun episode Mm -hmm. it's sure it's a little sloppy it's a little sloppy especially when compared to iborg but i i still enjoy it yeah i enjoy it yeah i mean iborg again (laughs) I probably like came like <laughs> very close to tears several times during this discussion Aww. just talking about Iborg. <laughs> right. It is oh just sh- I will tell you the only thing that I really think Picard was good for was for Jonathan Del Arco to come back. Why did uh, they have to I, He did a beautiful job and I Spoiler alert! Going to give everyone a chance to pause for Picard if you still haven't seen yeah. him. Um, you know, Hugh, as we know at least, has passed away. He dies, but uh, so that was stupid. But <laughs> that was but so his, fucked his, up. Like, what the scenes, fuck? Like, yeah, why? Scenes, How dare though, you? With Picard and everything, Jonathan Delarco did a great job, and it was wonderful to see sort of Hugh's story continue. That's like the yeah. for me, like the only good thing. Yeah. I just, why would you not, why would you not, why would you not, like, save a moment for him to have with Jordy? Like, why, why do you not, why did they not even mention Jordy? Like, why, like, 
if even if they had just even if Picard had just been like, have you spoken to Jordy? And he would just said, yeah, oh, yeah, like, we were just sense? like we just talked yesterday. Like if he had just if they had just like mentioned right? that they're still friends, like just in passing, it wouldn't have been a big deal. Just put a tiny little bit in there. Then I would have been like, oh, good. Oh, good. They're still friends. Extra special thanks to Paul Horton, a.k.a. No Stress, for our Star Trek remix theme song. Find us in the collective at intothewormhole.show. Into the Wormhole is brought to you by We Own This Town. Yeah, that, 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 Robert Picardo. Ooh.